Today we're going to talk about getting the perfect amount of difficulty in your video game. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the 8th episode. I'm your host, Zachavelli. Today's topic is on designing difficulty for your video games, but first we have some housekeeping stuff to take care of. So, first off, big shout out to Elliot Barless on Twitter. Um, he basically reached out to me and said, is there a community so that we can um, you know, discuss ideas from the show or just have conversations in general? about uh, game dev and what I realized is that I've been saving all the conversations for myself kind of <laughs> selfishly um, they've just been happening in my DMs like one-on-one -on -one with me so I don't think that's a good way to do it anymore um, and so I made a discord server and so I'm hoping that we can use the discord server to not only um, do stuff like the game idea jam but also so you guys can talk to each other about ideas from the show um, and I kind of split it up into sections. There's one for like general talk. There's one for like show and tell. So you can show screenshots of your projects. There's one for the game idea jam. And yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. I hope we can grow it so that we have a good amount of discussion on there. So I put the like invite link for the discord, um, in the show notes and that link should work forever. It's not like a timed link or anything. So yeah, Discord's uh, totally free, so I encourage everyone to go check it out and participate in the discussion. You'll definitely learn something from talking to other people, and uh, you might even get inspired too, so I'll see you over there. Another good way to get a hold of me is on Twitter, of course. That's at uh, underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and I'll probably put uh, a link to the Discord in my Twitter too, just in case um, it doesn't work in the show notes for some reason. So now that that's taken care of, let's uh, go on over to the Idea Jam. So if you remember last week's Idea Jam, um, it was about adapting a movie or a TV show or really any media franchise to a video game. And you might think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's pretty bland. That's something that gets done a lot already. But I didn't mean it in like the way, and maybe I should have made this a little more clear. I didn't mean it in the way like make a video game out of a movie that's obviously like a video game. <laughs> I I just talked in circles, but you know what I mean? Like an action movie into a shooting game, that's like, yeah, that's kind of bland. But it's a good thing you guys are pretty creative, and I got a really good response from uh, Exhale Oxygen, and I think this has been kicked off by uh, the return of Avatar, The Last Airbender on Netflix, but he had a really cool idea. And again, it kind of happened in bits and pieces in a discussion, so I'll just sum it all up for everyone. But anyway, his idea was to turn the world of Avatar The Last Airbender into a MMO, a sort of faction-based MMO uh, where each nation, you know, is a faction and they're all working against each other or maybe together with each other. But basically there's four teams and like every week or every month, there's one avatar on your server or whatever, and they are like purposely OP. 
but there's only one of them, so they have to like use their power wisely. If you guys don't know, uh, if you're not familiar with the Avatar um, universe, we're we're talking about the like cartoon and not the alien blue people James Cameron, which is also a really good movie. But we're talking about um, the cartoon. I don't think it counts as an anime for like because it was made by an Ameri- American company or something like that. I don't know. It's basically a cartoon slash anime where there are four nations, each represented by a element. There's uh, fire, water, air, and earth. And basically, um, each nation has like control of the element. They call them benders. And so like a water bender can move water, sort of like the force in Star Wars. Um, you know, the fire nation bends fire, the earth nation bends earth. You get the point. But basically, the Fire Nation is like very warlike, and they kind of take over all the other nations. And it's a story about uh, this kid who is the Avatar, who is someone who can bend all four elements. So anyways, yeah, the the world already naturally has like teams built into it, factions like from a classical MMO. And I think this could make for a really interesting um, like MMO PvP style, because um, it has... The world has like this very kung fu, like martial arts um, influences, and so like the earthbenders make like really powerful, strong movements. Where the waterbenders are a little bit more like elegant, you know, with like very fluid movements. And so this definitely could like represent different play styles. And yeah, it's a really cool universe. And you could even have like specialty trees, like. Um, there are waterbenders, for instance, who can control the water in people's blood. And so they can make people, like, into puppets. They're called bloodbenders. So, like, that could be a really, really cool kind of secret skill tree for the, you know, water nation players. And so, yeah, we just kind of talked about all the cool different ideas that could happen within an avatar uh, MMO. And to be honest, I'm surprised it hasn't been made yet. But anyways, let me know what you guys think about that idea. I thought it was really cool. A really smart use of the universe and a good example of what I was talking about last week where the universe kind of reflects the gameplay mechanics. So for our next um, idea jam, and I always forget to do this to start, I should explain what the idea jam is because if this is your first episode then you don't even know what's going on right now. So the idea jam is where I give a prompt and then we kind of design a game mechanic or an entire game around the idea. It doesn't have to be like super well thought out with all the points together. It's just kind of a discussion topic to make you think a little bit more about uh, game design. It's kind of like just good thought practice, I guess. And so for next week, I want you guys to come up with an item to add to the classic Super Mario Bros. uh, formula. So if you don't know, I mean, if you don't know what classic Super Mario Brothers is, then (laughs) you got to go do some research on video games, I guess. Um, but if you don't know, there's items that you'd get from blocks, like one that gives you an extra um, hit when you're, it makes you a little bit taller, too. Um, there's ones that make you jump and fly. There's ones that make you throw fireballs. So, yeah, I'm asking you guys to um, add an item. And here's the trick of it. You can't add an item that's, like, too OP and just not going to be fun. And we'll get to why that is later when we talk about difficulty. But you also can't make an item that doesn't really feel like it's changing the gameplay at all. So you got to find that balance between being like game-breakingly good and not even worth picking up 
bad. So yeah, and I think we're gonna um, before I was having people send me submissions on Twitter, but I think we're gonna move like the main discussion over to the Discord. That way, everyone can see everyone else's, um, and then you guys can also vote. You know, with the reactions on Discord to the other ones that you like. So instead of just me deciding, now it's kind of everyone's kind of involved in the in the decision, and I think that just makes better for what we're trying to do, which is, you know, build a community around the game design and craft of games and kind of the stuff that we all like. So with that, let's uh, move into the body of the episode. So this week we're talking about difficulty. And you know how I always talk about like evoking a feeling, like how that's kind of my golden rule of video games, which is that when you're making a video game, you should be trying to evoke a feeling. And that's what makes it compelling, right? Most of the time that feeling is fun, but it can be any compelling feeling like um, fear, for instance, in a horror game. But I want to talk about a feeling today, um, and that is the feeling of frustration. And having improperly designed difficulty is a good way to change the feeling that you meant for the player to have and totally throw that out the window and replace it with frustration. There are a few emotions stronger than frustration, and it tends to hamper any positive feelings that maybe coincide with it. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the current events in the United States right now to see um, how extreme frustration can get. And I think it's because like a, it's a very primal feeling, like frustration is something we all feel, and it's just like overcoming. And it's no different in video games. And difficulty in video games is like one of the main factors that causes frustration. But it's not the only factor. There are other things like poor level design, poor quality, um, and by quality I mean bugs, game-breaking unfairness, things like that. And the truth is, is that you'll never remove all the frustration. And that's just because, you know, the skill level of players is going to vary. You're never going to catch every bug. You might just make some bad design choices. I mean, no one makes a perfect video game. Your goal shouldn't be to remove all frustration. In fact, some cases, a little bit of frustration might actually be a good thing. But here's the key. You want to make sure that the frustration that is encountered by the player can also be solved by the player. If your frustration is caused by a hard boss or level, then hopefully you stick with the game and you can eventually beat it. And then you get satisfaction, um, you get that like feeling of you endured and finally overcame that. And this is a good way to evoke feelings like triumph and fulfillment. And that's because it's fun to be challenged. I mean, if everything was too easy, then it wouldn't be any fun at all. And it kind of goes back to the original idea. A game with no challenge evokes no feelings and it isn't compelling. So that's an example of how you can use a little bit of frustration for actually good. But let me hit you with a counterexample. If your game is difficult and causing frustration uh, because it's fundamentally broken and there's no way for the player to ever overcome that frustration, then it's just an obstacle that they can never get over. And they never get that feeling of triumph. And all they feel, all the frustration does is build and never gets released. And even if somehow they make it past, well, let's say it's just a glitch or something and they figure out a way to, I don't know, glitch the glitch and get past it, um, it erodes trust with the player. It erodes trust in the developer from the player. If it ever does get difficult, they'll wonder if they lost again because of a glitch. 
And this principle, I think, is really evident in FPS games. It's like a classic, almost a meme at this point. When you die in an FPS, you like yell and say, like, how is that not a headshot? Or, dude, there's no way he saw me. Or this game's broken or whatever. Just go watch any streamer playing an FPS and you'll see them die and get angry and say the game's broken. And that's because over the years of playing FPS, our trust has been eroded. And it's not, I'm not blaming the developers or anything for bad game design. It's straight up just because most of us grew up playing FPS in a time when the internet maybe wasn't that great. I mean, we've all experienced lag while playing video games. And every time you die to lag, it's really frustrating. That's an obstacle that you can't really overcome until you get better internet, and that kind of just like takes you out of the game. And so every time you die, then you think, well, was that because of lag? Was it because the game's broken? And you might think, are my shots not registering? And I think, like in the far future, when everyone has, I don't, I don't know, 7G internet, and it just always works and there's never lag, I don't think they'll have that same kind of... Um, reaction to getting killed maybe they will i don't know maybe that'll just be fps players forever but they'll definitely have a lot more trust and know that it's the reason they're dying is not because of lag and anyways yeah i just wanted to use that example as an example of when you have glitches in a poorly made game um the trust from the player gets eroded and then every time they're challenged and they feel a little bit of frustration that frustration's almost doubled because they think it's like unfair because the game's broken but it, not, it might not be, it's just that they, you know, their trust is gone. So to sum all that up, you want to make sure that your difficulty is not due to poor quality. So the next point I want to make is that you want to consider the difficulty uh, for your genre and audience. And for this point, I'm going to call us back to the point I made earlier about whether or not we want to totally remove frustration and whether or not you can totally remove frustration, which I don't think you can. So let's just say whether or not you want to get to as zero frustration as possible. And for a good example of this, let's look at a recently popular game, um, Animal Crossing. And so if you don't know what Animal Crossing is, it's kind of a uh, almost like a life simulation game. Uh, but it's real relaxing. It's real chill. It's not to say that there isn't any challenges. There definitely are. But it's not something where like your palms are sweating. And that game tries to remove as much frustration as possible. It's just a game about a zen-like relaxing experience. And so the difficulty for that, obviously, is turned way down. And that's what's expected of that game series. Um, that's what people go to it for. They go to it for, like, a relaxed experience. And I think if they went into it expecting that and got met with, like, an extreme hard mode, that'd be really off-putting for them. Now let's look at the counterexample. Um, I know I bring this game up a lot, but it's it's a good game, and it for whatever reason it works for a lot of examples, but Dark Souls. Dark Souls is a game that is purposely frustrating sometimes. It tells you straight up, like, look, you're going to die a lot in this game. I think one of the additions of the game is straight up called Prepare to Die. But again, that's what's expected of the series and genre. So people go into the game expecting a hard game, and they're not like, caught off guard by it and like I said it's fun to be challenged and I think that's why that, those games really resonate with people is that it's fun to like overcome something that feels really hard so hopefully now when you think about your game you think about the genre um, and sort of what your audience expects for how difficult it will be and 
for a lot of like people that this podcast is targeted towards, um, people might not know what to expect, right? If this is your first video game ever, they might, you know, so make sure that it kind of conforms with the genre. And if it does go outside that, um, you know how I like nonconformity and how that's a good way to innovate. But if you do have that, make sure that your players know up front, like, hey, this is going to be hard or this is going to be, you know, a super chill game. So, yeah, so now you know kind of where on the meter your difficulty is. Let's talk about the actual design of difficulty. So, like, the number one rule when you're designing difficulty um, is make sure that the player knows the rules and make sure that the rules are fair. If the player doesn't know how the game works, then the difficulty doesn't matter. It could be hard or not hard, and they wouldn't know because they don't even know how the basic functions work. And number two, they might know the rules, but if the rules are unfair to them, then that's just a quick way to build frustration. And not in the good way frustration, in the game's broken frustration way. So another thing you want to make sure that you do is you want to make sure that your game uh, difficulty fluctuates throughout the game. And I want to kind of make a caveat here. Um, By this, I don't mean have like an easy, medium, hard mode. I think an easy, medium, and hard mode, or maybe just like an easy and a hard mode, I think one of the places those work really well is story games, especially games that are really heavy on the story. Like if you're a really good writer or maybe a movie director or whatever, and you switch over to games, um, maybe you're even bringing a little bit of audience with you, you definitely want to have an easy mode, right? Because there are going to be people there because they know you wrote the story or they know you directed the story. And so they're going to be there just for the story. So if your medium mode is too hard for them or if you only have one mode and it's too hard for them, they're not going to be able to get the full effect of the story, which is the reason they're there. So if you have an easy mode, that really helps people get through the game, especially people who might not even be, you know, used to playing video games, but, uh, you know, you're bringing them in for a story. Maybe the story is really intriguing to them. And that would be my number one uh, recommendation. Whenever you're considering like tutorials or if your game's understandable enough, if are your players going to know the rules? Assume that your players um, have never played a video game before. That's like one of the key mistakes I made when I first started out is that I just assumed that everyone knew how to play video games and then I just hand them a game and they'd be like, I don't know what this is. And I'd say, oh, this is just like my favorite game and then name some weird obscure <laughs> like 2001 Game Boy DVD add-on player that nobody knows what it is. So yeah, when you're explaining the rules, explain them as plainly and simply as possible and make sure they're fair. Oh, and consider, um, you know, having an easy mode maybe for people who aren't used to playing video games or maybe they're just there for the story. So dial it back. I kind of went on a tangent there, but remember I said to make sure that the difficulty fluctuates throughout the game. And this is important because if it's the same, um, it just gets boring quickly, right? Once you beat the challenge once, then on the second time, maybe you, you know, still feel good about it. But third, fourth, fifth time, it has like diminishing returns. That's if it's the same challenge. A way to get around this though, is to like ramp up the challenge as you're going. So that the kind of tension um, is not lost throughout the game. 
classic example of this where you kind of slowly ramp up the difficulty throughout the game is Mario, specifically Super Mario Brothers, but almost all Mario games kind of follow this sort of ramp up where the first worlds are easy, then once you get a hang of the controls, you know, it gets a little bit harder, then it gets a little bit harder. And on top of this hardness, it actually has items that kind of change up the difficulty within the level. And this just helps the game from feeling, you know, too samey. And it offers like a varied amount of experiences. But slowly ramping it up is not the only way to go. There are lots of ways to mess with the difficulty that are interesting. For instance, in modern story games, um, difficulty is often used to help build tension along with the story. My favorite example of this, and one of the best games, in my opinion, of all time, is from uh, The Last of Us. Which, if you haven't played The Last of Us, it's a uh, sort of like post-apocalyptic zombie third-person shooter. But it's more like a movie, um, if that makes sense. I don't want to spoil too much for it because it's not like your generic, you know, another zombie movie or whatever. I remember when those were really, really big a couple of years ago. It seemed like it was zombie everything. But trust me when I say this is the best in that genre and I'm including movies, books, everything. Of the zombie apocalypse stuff, The Last of Us is like top three across all media formats. And anyways, in the gameplay, um, there's this moment where you're caught in like one of those rope traps where you step on it and it like, like hangs you up in a tree or whatever. And the main character, he steps in it and it wraps around his ankle and it lifts him up. And then he's hanging upside down. And while this happens, um, I think like someone knocks something over and it makes noises and all the zombies start coming. And then you have to protect the person you're traveling with uh, from the zombies getting them while they figure out how to cut you down. But this whole time you're aiming and shooting while the screen is inverted and you're like swaying back and forth. So all the shooting that you've been used to, you know, this is kind of early in the game, so you've You've got your hang, you got the, like the hang of shooting now and you understand the controls. All that's thrown out the window because all of a sudden you're upside down swaying back and forth and these shots are extremely difficult. And it feels like when you pull one off, like you can feel the tension when you get like back to back headshots while you're swaying upside down shooting. The person you're with is desperately trying to figure out how to cut you down. And if you, and don't get it wrong, if you miss one of these shots, there's like a super gory, horrible cutscene where your companion dies or the zombie catches you and you die so like it does a really good job from a difficulty standpoint of like setting the stakes and this is a good way of how like varying it um really helped up the tension in the story um because it's kind of like a dull moment and then all of a sudden it's ramped up and things are real and your heart's beating and it's just an awesome moment you should really go play The Last of Us. I super recommend it. Let's say that you're not even making a story game. You're just making like a real simple, I don't know, like a platformer. A way I like to ramp up the difficulty, and this is a pretty common way, but I think it's so common because it works well, is instead of like taking one mechanic and just keep making it harder and harder and harder until it's like basically impossible, take your one mechanic and then add in like another simple mechanic and then make the player juggle like two simple mechanics so that the mechanics, if they were just themselves, wouldn't be that hard. But now the player is like having to do both and it's kind of mixing things up, throwing curveballs their way. 
and that can be a real challenge. And you see a lot of examples of this. Uh, the one that's coming to my mind right now is like from the classic endless runner type games. Um, you might see these on mobile platforms like, um, what's that one? Temple runner. Well, basically it's like one of those games where you have to swipe in a direction to move your guy, get past the obstacles. But that game's never just like, okay, we're just going to have jumps and you just got to, as the level goes on, you just got to jump even crazier and crazier. That's not really how it works. It works by making simple mechanics and then combining them all together so that there's jumps and slides. And I think there's like move to the left and right. But for this example, let's just say there's jumps and slides. So all of a sudden, there are some obstacles you jump over. There's some obstacles you slide under. And if it was just each of those things by themselves, the game really wouldn't be that hard. But it's the combination of you're faced with that decision and it's coming quickly. You're like, is this a jump or a slide? And making the player juggle two simple mechanics actually, I think, makes for a more interesting difficulty increase than if it was just one of the mechanics that just got harder. And so the last point I want to make is that difficulty is a great tool for innovation. And you don't need to look any further than like the resurgence of challenging games. Uh, by this, I mean like Hollow Knight, Shovel Knight, or the opposite, kind of the resurgence of Zen-like games, like Animal Crossing, for instance. All of the games I just mentioned are um, popular, they sell well, and people like them, and it's because they kind of, you know, with the first two I mentioned, Hollow Knight and Shovel Knight, they kind of call back to those like really hard like 80s arcade games, which people like, and I think we got away from because, you know, people think that if the game's too hard... They don't want to play it. And, you know, everyone knows that, like, back in the day, they were just hard because they wanted to take more quarters from you. But I think people actually really do like a challenge. They like that feeling of overcoming a challenge. And Animal Crossing is the exact opposite. Sometimes people just want to relax and hang out and kind of just, you know, shut their brain off for a little bit. And that can be good, too. It's just about using difficulty to kind of play around with it and... um Get a good feeling for your game. And so you want to make sure that you, especially if you're making a game within a genre that already exists, maybe play with the difficulty a little bit. See if you can't make your game kind of stand out and be unique. Maybe you make it a little bit harder, or maybe you make it a little bit easier. Because you never know, there might be a, a niche audience, and it might be a pretty sizable niche audience uh, in that sweet spot that you hit. And it could be you could be the first one to ever, you know, have it that way. So we hit a lot of points on this one. I think this can be end up being one of the longer episodes. Um, I'm just going to quickly sum up everything. Um, so we'll just start from the beginning. If your game is difficult because it doesn't work right, uh, frustration will totally ruin your game, and it will not be received very well. A little bit of frustration, however, can be used for good. Um, remember that it's sometimes nice to overcome frustration. So maybe you want to build a little bit up, uh, so that you get like that extra payoff of finally winning. Um, good rules of thumb when you're designing difficulty is remember to be tough but fair. You want the rules to make sense and the rules to be well explained and you want your player to know what they're doing so that they can tell the difference between when the game is hard and when the game is easy. And you want to make sure that this difficulty fluctuates over the course of the game. You know, mix it up. Throw some curveballs, have some, you know dollar moments where maybe they can enjoy the story or the, uh, when I say dollar, I mean easier 
moments where they can enjoy the story, maybe enjoy the artwork, the music. Um, a good way to kind of ramp up the difficulty is to make the player juggle multiple easy tasks. And lastly, um, you can really innovate on a genre or an idea, maybe one that already exists, by tweaking the difficulty uh, in a way that sets your games apart and makes it unique. So with that, I think I'm going to end the uh, episode. Um, remember that we are switching our conversations over to the Discord. I think this Discord thing could be really, really cool. Um, it's kind of what I imagined in the start, kind of a place for you know beginner and intermediate game developers to talk with each other and just learn off each other. That's how I went from knowing nothing to knowing a little bit. It's basically how I went from zero to intermediate. And uh, yeah, I just want to like share that experience with other people. And, um, you know, I think it helps to know that other people are on the same path, especially when at the beginning, you know, everyone really struggles a little bit, especially like learning to program or learning to do art. But I think if you have other people that you can lean on, that really helps you get through those sort of obstacles. So yeah, I think the Discord could be really cool. I think it will be really cool. Um, and I'll be in there and I'll be participating and yeah, come join for discussion. You can find the link, uh, in the show notes, or you can follow me on Twitter. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Um, and I'll probably have a pinned tweet there for it. So thanks for everyone for listening. I've been Zaccavelli. We should all spec more into empathy and I'll see you guys next time.